You ready to study the Bible? We're going to get into a couple of different chapters in the book of Luke today. And I, I just thank you for inviting me into your living rooms. Um, I don't get invited to a lot of living rooms. So thanks. Uh, this may be the best way to invite me to a living room, actually. Not actually there. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's get going this morning. I'm excited for what I believe the Lord has for us this morning. I actually have some very important news for you this morning, and that news is this. We are very near the end. We really are very near the end. Now listen, if you've been saved for some time like I have, and you've been in a good Bible-preaching church like this one, undoubtedly, you've heard people talk about many times how we are in the last days of the church age. In the last days right before the soon-coming rapture, of the church of Jesus Christ. I personally have been saying it for over 25 years. I've been anticipating this since a lot of you who are around loving the Lord before the year 2000. We were thinking about that back then a lot. Um, some people will point to the fact that we've been saying it for a really long time as proof that it's actually not true. They'll say, people have been saying that forever. It's never happened yet, but the truth of the matter is people who act in such a manner, their scoffing is actually proof that it is true. And it says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So the Lord warns us through Peter the man, in the last days, there's going to be people saying, listen, I'm tired of hearing you guys talk about that thing. But just logically, we know every day that clicks off, we're closer. And logically, we know eventually it's going to be true, right? And what I want to talk to you about today is the fact that maybe it actually is very, very close. I know this. If there's one verse that Christian people know, well, Besides the one that says, judge not lest you be judged. Seems like all Christians know that one. Except for the judge not lest you be judged verse. If there's one verse that all Christians seem to know, it's the verse that says, no man knoweth the day or the hour. Like everybody knows that one, right? Everybody knows that no man knows the day or the hour, and I'm tired of you guys talking about it like you do. Okay, that's fine. The day and the hour, remember those words. But you know what the Bible says we can know? In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says that we can know the times and the seasons. We really can. And it's compared to a woman with birth pains. And you know how that thing works. When the woman gets out towards the ninth month, I mean, you might not know the day or the hour when the baby's going to be born, but you know it's not going two more months, right? I mean, you know the times and the seasons. In fact, Jesus wants for us to know the times and the seasons. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, and verses 2 and 3, notice this. In the latter part, it says, When it's evening, you say... It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? And the Lord wants us to understand that there are signs of the times of his return and his setting up of his kingdom that we should be able to see coming as they're coming. And we can see the signs in the skies, and we can know about weather, and we can know about things like that. And he's like, listen, if you're a believer and you can know those things, you ought to be able to know these things too, right? Well, that's what I want to talk about a little bit. Because the fact of the matter is, the things that we're going through right now, um, they're unprecedented. I mean, I, I believe they actually are very much unprecedented. I don't think the world's ever really faced the kinds of things that we're facing right now. In fact, life as we know it has changed. It's changed three different ways. It's changed quickly, it's changed drastically, and it's changed globally, right? I mean, think about it. Just one month ago, you would have never imagined that we'd be doing what we're doing today. Just one month ago. In fact, just four weeks ago from today, we were just kicking off our REACH Missions Conference. The, the house was full of people. We had invited missionary guests in here. Four weeks. Things are changing rapidly. 
They're changing drastically. When has there ever been a crisis in the world like this where everybody is shut down? And everybody's shut down not just regionally or nationally, but globally, all across this world. It's the craziest thing ever. So people naturally are confused, they're overwhelmed, they're uncertain of the future. We don't really know who to believe. You hear so many different news reports and whether you go to the mainstream news media or whether you go online to your favorite online news source and there's so much news and there's so much information and there's so many opinions, the overload makes it somewhat confusing. Now listen, the coronavirus is certainly a real thing. I'm not trying to pretend like it's not and people certainly are suffering and people certainly are dying, but at least in my mind, the numbers just don't add up to warrant the severely drastic response that's being administered. I'm not in charge. I'm not given that job to tell people what to do. I'm obeying. I think we should obey. That's fine. But I want you to just think about some of the things, and I'm just going to hit a few highlights of things that I know you're already fully aware of. Just think about it. Do all the people of the world need to be on lockdown? I mean, the, the world is crying out for global cooperation, a global solution. They're looking for the government to solve their problems. They're looking for a unified, one-world government solution. Do most all businesses really need to close and to close indefinitely? I mean, how can we live this way? I mean, the government just prints $2 trillion on paper? Um, what will become of our economy? Once all the economics are decimated, well, what are we going to have to do? We're, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to depend on the government to take care of us. That's what we're going to have to do. How are we going to buy and sell with our paper money if the paper money doesn't have any real value to it anymore? I'm not trying to instill panic. I'm trying to just cause you to realize we're in some very dire situations. I mean, you'd almost think there's going to have to be some sort of a digital currency, maybe some way to implant your identification or your financial information into your body. I mean, how could they do that? So with all the global, and to, and, and to ap apply it in a global way. So there's a global pandemic, and it's the COVID-19, and the world is looking for a cure. The world is waiting for the vaccine. And the solution actually already exists because a vaccine injection could take place, and there's companies that are working on this that, are, that have it actually ready, where together with the vaccine will be radio frequency identification. And listen, we could go on and on, and quite frankly, uh, in the weeks to follow Easter. Now, Easter is next week, and we won't be talking about this specifically in Easter, but uh, in the weeks to follow Easter, I actually do plan to talk more about this subject and more about the rapture of the church, Lord willing. But you get the idea. The rapture of the church could very well be very soon, amen? I heard that, amen. What are we to do? What are we to do? Well, we've already spent a few weeks trying to help you to remember to trust the Lord, not fear, not panic, and those have been valuable. Those have been very important. Well, before we talk about what we should do, I want us to be reminded of what we should not do. Let me tell you what we should not do. We should not just sit around and wait for life to go back to normal. Because let me just tell you something. What you understand as normal well, it's likely never coming back again. Never coming back. You know, Jesus actually spoke about a couple of things that we are to do. And it's in this very context. You see, whenever the end comes, sooner or later, it's referred to in the scripture as a harvest. And for example, at the, end, at the very end, during the time of the tribulation, contextually, but in Revelation 14 and verse 15, the Bible says this, 
And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And the gathering of God's people, well, that's, that's referred to as a harvest. And so that's the title that I've given to the message today, The Harvest is Ripe. And I believe the harvest is ripe. I believe that we are right on the verge of the time when we will be harvested and gathered out of this world. I'm going to draw your attention. I hope you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 12 is where we're going. And, uh, if, I mean, it would be great if you actually had your physical Bible. I mean, just, I mean, just smell the leather. I mean, it's good stuff. Just hold your Bible for a chance. I know the verses will pop up here. But Luke chapter 12, we're going to look starting in verse number 40. And it says this. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even unto all? Now, really, I should have started a little sooner, but I wanted to start in verse number 40, where it says, the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. If you're at home and thinking, he's not coming now, I guess that'd be a good time for him to come then, wouldn't it? Because he comes at a time when you think not. Then, then we have Peter responding to the Lord saying that and saying, hey, this parable, is that for us? So the, really the parable he's referring to are the few verses prior. So let's back up a few verses starting in verse 37 and read down through. Where Jesus said, blessed are those servants whom the Lord when he cometh, there's your context, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. So the Lord is interested in his servants, his children, to be watching and to be ready for the moment when he's going to come. And we're going to break this down into a couple of areas here in just a second. I want to just take a second and pray and just kind of make sure that we're, we're lined up for this. So if you'll follow along with me, pray with me, if you will. And Lord Jesus, as we look into this in Luke chapter 12 a little deeper and jumping ahead to Luke chapter 19 a little further, I, I do pray that you would give us ears to hear today. Lord, I don't know, maybe more today than ever before. Maybe more today than in a long time anyway, if not ever before. We have a message in front of us that is so immediately applicable. Lord, this word is for us. It's for the church. It's for us to hear what you would say to those of us that, that are waiting and alive and, and right at the brink of your soon return and what it is we should do. So I pray that you would give us these ears to hear and I pray that we would humbly respond. And, and like the Apostle John, Lord, at the end of the Bible, even so come, Lord Jesus. We love you and we can't wait till that day when we're all together with you. But until that time, may you find us so doing. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, we're talking about a harvest. And if we're talking about a harvest, then that means that we're gonna talk about sowing and reaping. And so that's basically our two main points, as you'll see when we get into it. The first point is to sow some things. We're going to sow your Christian responsibilities. That's what we need to sow. We need to make sure that we are sowing the responsibilities that he's given us to do. We're going to continue in Luke chapter 12, now in verses 42 and 43. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? The Lord Jesus asks a question. Peter's asking, what's this all about? You're coming and being ready. So the Lord asks the question, who's going to be the faithful and wise, wise steward? That the Lord's going to make him ruler when he comes, right? And give him his portion of meat. He goes on in verse 43. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. So the Lord wants to, I mean, he's going to return. But when he returns, he wants to find you doing something. So doing. Doing what? doing exactly what it is he told you to do, carrying out the very responsibilities that he's given you to do. That's your stewardship. That's what a stewardship is. A steward is given the responsibility over another man's business. And Jesus Christ has made us stewards, right, 
over his business here on this earth. And we're going to see what those are here in just a second. But during the church age, we are the stewards that are given this business to take care of. And you know what? He expects us to do it. And he expects us to keep doing it right up until the moment that he returns. Because when he returns, he's going to say that we will be blessed. Another word for that is happy. We'll be ha- I'm going to tell you, you're going to be happy if he finds you faithfully doing what you're supposed to be doing at the time that he returns. Amen? I mean, you don't want to stop now, right? I mean, you, you've done good so far. You don't want to quit now just because you're locked in your houses. And so right up to the very end, you do that and you're going to be blessed. So specifically, let's break it down. Letter A, first sub-point, steward the mysteries. Stewardship of the mysteries. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I know a lot of you are familiar with this already. It says, Let a man so account of us, church in Corinth, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, the mysteries of God are things that God has now revealed to us, but previously they weren't revealed. They're not mysterious. They're not things that, they, that you can't know. They're things that you can know because he's revealed them to us. But at one time in the past, they weren't revealed to us. And, and we could even say they're not just necessarily things from the Old Testament that were unclear that are now made clear. That's true. But it's also possible that there are things that we could say other people are unaware of because, well, they've just never taken the time to get to know them yet. And so the the truth of the mysteries of God's word, well, these are the things that God's given to us. These are the things that he has revealed to us. A similar verse to this to go along with it would be 1 Timothy 6.20. Paul writes to Timothy, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. That sounds like a stewardship, doesn't it? Timothy is entrusted with something that's given to him from somebody else. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called. So that's a stewardship. Timothy is given a stewardship over the truth of God's word, right? He's given that to him, and and he's warned that there will be people who will use false science to oppose it. That's going to happen. I'm not saying that there's false science flying around the world right now. I'm not trying to say that. I'll let other people who are smarter than me figure that out. I'm just telling you, the Holy Spirit through Paul told Timothy to be a steward of the things he was given in the midst of oppositions that will come around that deal with a so-called scientific explanation. Timothy is given the stewardship to defend the truth. That's what he's given. So I, I made some notes, and if you happen to have them downloaded or looked at or not, it goes like this. Jesus Christ wants to see when he returns that you are a faithful steward of God's word. I mean, that's where the mysteries are found. They're found in the Word of God. Now, now let's just look at that one more time. Jesus Christ wants to see something. And what he wants to see is that at the time when he returns, how are my faithful stewards, how are my stewards doing? Are they faithful? Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. He wants to see at the moment of his return that you are a faithful steward of his Word. This is a responsibility that we need to continue to sow as we wait for this soon coming harvest. This is a very important thing. We'll jump down a little further in Luke chapter 12. Don't go down to verse number 47. And it says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. So the Lord is expecting that we who know his will, we who have an understanding of what he says, that we would prepare ourselves, that we would watch, that we would be ready. We need to prepare ourselves for some things in the context of the mysteries in God's word. So we could say we need to prepare for life. You need to be regularly reading and studying God's word on your own. You find yourself at home, you find yourself with extra time on your hands. Maybe you don't have extra time, I don't know, but whatever the circumstances are for you right now, God expects you to faithfully continue for your own sake and your own life. Stay in his word. This is no time to stick your Bible on the shelf and just worry. Not only just preparing for your life, but you need to be preparing for your ministry. And so we should be taking God's word and teaching it to others. In this church, we call that biblical discipleship. And discipleship is such an important thing. And I know the circumstances are different. I know they're kind of weird, but man, if, if, 
we can continue. We've got these electronic means, and we can continue to do discipleship. Meet online if that's the best way you can do. Just with a phone call audio if that's the best way you can do. But, man, we need to be faithful stewards of God's Word, investing in other people. It's still possible. And we need to be preparing for leadership. And so the 9 a.m. training hour, if you're in ministry tools and training, those classes are continuing. If you're in there, you know those are still available for you to follow. Uh, The Living Faith Bible Institute classes that we have, we're continuing to teach those. Those of you that are in that, you know those are continuing. There's nothing to stop us from continuing to study and to prepare for a future if God gives us a future. That's his business ultimately, right? But we have to be faithful, and we have to continue to do. Your circumstances, friends, are not hindering you from continuing these things. Amen? I think I just heard Maksud say amen. Amen, brother. Listen, don't stop now. Don't just sit at home and get fat binge-watching Netflix. Amen? I mean, let's get busy. Why, why would you want to neglect your stewardship now? I mean, just think, what if the rapture were to come in 2020? What if? I don't know, what if? You don't want him to, you've done great up until now. You don't want to blow it in the last month? Man, we need to stick this thing out. When to encourage each other. I mean, why would somebody consider just, just shelving it? Well, maybe some people might say, well, I mean, what's done is done. I mean, it's either in the books or it ain't in the books. I mean, it's done, right? I mean, it, I'm done. It's over. Well, again, the actual time of his return, we don't know it. We're just trying to get the signs and the seasons and the times, but we don't know exactly when he's coming. That's up to him. The clock belongs to him. We don't know, right? So do you want to be found ignoring your stewardship at the moment he returns? Of course not. Maybe an excuse might be, well, we can't travel and we can't meet with people. Well, listen, we do have the ability to be creative, right? So a faithful steward of the mysteries is somebody who's disciplined. It's somebody who's systematic, It's somebody who continues to dig and to study and to research. Listen, y'all, get into this book and find some of the cool things that the Lord talks about the times of the end. That should be interesting to you now, right? A wise steward of the mysteries, well, wisdom comes from the Bible. And so that means that if we're a wise steward, that means we're going to be biblical in all of our approach to the Word of God. Do what the Bible says, not what you're personal human reasoning tells you. So we need to steward the mysteries, and we need to steward also, this is letter B, if you have the the outline, uh, the ministries. We need to steward the ministries that, that have been given to us. Again, Luke 12, 47, and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, we looked at that, neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. So it's, it's referenced in the negative for the servant that knew some stuff but refused to do it. But in the first part, it was preparing himself. That's what we've addressed already. Now we're going to talk about neither did them. So God wants to find us prepared. He wants to find us diligent. He wants to find us being a good steward of God's word, preparing ourselves for something. It's for ministry. We prepare ourselves for ministry Because God wants you to do according to his will, not just learn according to his will. Amen? And so Peter references it this way, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And in the context, if you went back to 1 Peter 4 and looked that up, The context is very clearly the gift of God. We're talking about spiritual gifts. God's manifold, many-faceted grace is given in the form of different spiritual gifts that are given. And those gifts are given to us to serve, to minister. That's why he's given them to us. So similar to the last point, Jesus Christ now wants to see when he returns that you are a faithful steward of God's work. It's important, okay, that we prepare ourselves with God's word, but, but my goodness, we need to be faithfully doing the work. 
learn, study, prepare, understand, but let's keep reaching out, let's keep loving people, let's keep checking up, let's keep helping others know the truth of God's word, let's keep doing the things that he wants us to do. Now's not the time to pull the plug. And primarily, continuing on, you have been given the stewardship of evangelism. Primarily. Listen, y'all. Ministering to the body of Christ, that's a great thing. Doing things for others, that's, these are very important and commanded. But you know very well, once that trumpet blows and once we meet the Lord up in the air, the one thing we're never doing again is evangelism. This is the one and only and maybe last chance we have to get the word out so that other people can be saved before it's too late. Listen, we have to be good, faithful stewards of the work of God in evangelism in the last minutes of the last days. Don't you think he would be thrilled to find us doing that very thing if it were to be very soon? The Bible's very clear through the scriptures that this is our stewardship. 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Paul was given a stewardship. It was committed to his trust. What is that thing that was committed to his trust? The glorious gospel. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. We've been put in trust with the gospel. It's a stewardship of the gospel. The work of God is the work of evangelism. That's the stewardship that we've been given. It's very clear. And by the way, the stewardship of evangelism and going out and helping people understand their need for a Savior is not necessarily pleasing to man, is it? Because you have to tell them that they're sinful. I mean, the gospel has some bad news before you get to the good news. Right, But it has the good news at the end, so it's worth it. If the people don't receive the gospel, they're not really happy about the gospel. But you know who it pleases? It pleases the Lord. It pleases the Lord. And the people who get saved, by the way, they'll be pretty happy about it too. 2 Corinthians, let's not over, it continues. There's more. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, start in verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, notice, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Sounds like a stewardship, doesn't it? He's given something to us. There's a responsibility that's given to us. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us, there it is again, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to God. Listen, brothers and sisters, this message is for us. Especially now. At this time in which we live, where we could literally be standing, I don't know how the camera's gonna catch this, maybe my head will be too big. I mean, on the very brink, if I scoot down, is that okay? On the very brink of time and eternity, about the jumping off point, seriously? Do you know people who aren't saved? People you love? People you care about? Maybe people you've talked to before? Maybe you've talked to them a long time before and it's been a while since you've talked to them. What if... We're at the very end. What if the trumpet blows and we're called out of here in 2020? What if? What if all the situations going on in this world system right now are set up in such a way that literally it's all coming together so fast and the man of sin is going to be revealed and we're out of here? What if? You got family members and friends? Listen, now's the time. And it says, 2 Corinthians, man, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. 
We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Listen, y'all, I don't know what else matters more than that right now. I don't know what else you could argue would be of more importance than that right now. Next week is Easter Sunday. Normally, when we have our life in a normal situation, Easter Sunday is a big Sunday. People invite friends and family that frequently might not come to church. Our house is full. It's one of our highest attendance days. It is all over the country. And we'll have people in here who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I will always prepare an evangelistic message for all the guests that come that may not know the Lord. Next week is Easter. We're going to do it virtually again on camera. We're going to do the same thing. We're going we're to do a big Easter service as though the house was full. It just won't be full. And I'm going to preach an evangelistic service as though the room is full of people who don't know the Lord. But the room won't be full of people like that. But you know what? You can still invite your friends. You can still tell your family to tune in. In fact, you can tell family and friends that don't even live in Tuscarawas County that could be anywhere. They could tune into our church where they couldn't necessarily come here. And they can hear an evangelistic message. This may be, who knows, the last Easter evangelistic message chance they'll ever get. Invite your friends. What's stopping you from inviting them? Let's be busy about the stewardship of the ministry of evangelism, even in this situation that we're in. Of course I don't know if this is it. I just know we're closer than ever, and it sure does smell like it. What if this really was our last Easter? What if this is somebody's last chance? It's the very reason Jesus Christ came to earth. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, for the Son of Man has come, why? To seek and to save that which was lost. The primary reason for Jesus Christ's coming was to provide a way of salvation, obviously. Luke 19, 11 goes on then on the heels of that context. And as they heard these things, the disciples, Jesus, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh unto Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. You see the context? Once again, the context is evangelism. The reason Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. And then he goes on the heels of that context and he tells them a parable. And he uses the parable because Jesus knew that the disciples thought, they believed that the kingdom of God may immediately appear. It may be so close right now we can almost touch it. They believed that it could have been even right now. And so the Lord continues with the parable. So a faithful steward of the ministries keeps doing them regardless of the circumstances. And a wise steward of the ministries was going to find a creative way to do it. So let's do that. So we're going to sow our responsibilities, and this is our second main point and our last main point, reap now. We're going to reap your Christian rewards. Now we're going to jump into Luke chapter 19. Again, we started in verse number 10. And so we'll continue this story and this parable going forward from verse number 12. Follow with me to verse 25. This is the parable. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. 
And he said unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money unto the bank, that at my coming I might have required my own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. And verse 26, For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away from him. Now, as we look into this parable, I, I need for you to understand the players and the situation so that we can make the right application, right? So the first thing we're going to do, letter A, is analyze it. We're going to analyze the parable. So you need to understand who we're, what we're doing. I mean, a parable is a story, right? It's not a literal thing. It's a story, and it's written to illustrate a principle. It always comes in, in the direct context of the circumstances in which we find it. So this is the story. Uh, the nobleman, well, that's Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is of the royal family. He's of the ruling family, right? He's in charge. Uh, he's going to go away to a far country. That's heaven. And he's going to receive for himself a kingdom. And then he's going to return. You have 10 servants. 10 in the Bible is the number of the Gentiles. So that's important to understand. And he's given 10 pounds. Now, the pound is English money. And that's interesting because English is ultimately the world language of communication and trade, by the way, of commerce as well, uh, in these last days at the end of the world. And he gives them this one command. He says, occupy until I come. Now, don't think of it in the way that we use the word occupy because we use the word occupy like, I'm going to occupy this seat in my living room until the Lord comes. Well, that's the way some of you may be occupying, but that's not what it means. The word literally means, as he goes back, for example, in verse number 15, calling him into account, he might know how much every man hath gained by trading. And so occupy literally means to buy and to sell and to trade. In other words, what he's saying is turn a profit. Cause increase. If you want to use more spiritual language, be fruitful. Multiply. That's what he's saying. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, obviously, for you Bible students out there, be aware that I am also aware that any story that is dealing with the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is immediately, historically, before the church age. It's pre-church age. I get that. With a kingdom application. But I do want you to notice that in verse number 11, it refers to the kingdom of God. And you know the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And you know that the church, the bride of Jesus Christ, is primarily a Gentile bride of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice in this parable that the treasure that is entrusted to the servants is exactly equal for every servant. Every servant gets one pound. Every servant gets one pound. Now, think about that. What has God given to each of us equally? Well, one thing is he's given us his Holy Spirit, hasn't he? He's given us the very person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God lives inside this body of clay. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And there's some other very simple singular gifts that are given equally to everybody. We all have the Holy Spirit. Nobody has more than anybody else, no matter what the false teachers might say. Everybody has the Word of God. You can have the exact same Word of God everybody else has. You know what else you have that's exactly the same as everybody else, friends? You have the exact same amount of time. Nobody, I don't care how much money, prestige, position, privilege, opportunity, those aren't always the same. But you've got the same amount of time. You've got the Word of God and you've got the Spirit of God. You sure have those. Oh, and like we saw in 1 Peter, you also have a spiritual gift. God has gifted you uniquely to do something special for Him. 
Now, those of you that are familiar with the Bible, you may realize that there's a similar story to this one, referred to as the parable of the talents. That's found in Matthew chapter 25. And it's similar, yet it's different. It's similar in that there's a, a, a king or a ruler or a nobleman that gives some treasures and goes away and comes back and calls into account. But in that parable in Matthew 25, it's not the kingdom of God, it's the kingdom of heaven. And in that parable in Matthew 25, the talents that are given out are not one for each. One person gets five, one person gets two, one person gets one. And at the end of the parable in Matthew 25, the servants that are not faithful with the talents are thrown in a lake of fire. Not in this one. They just lose their rewards. That's all. Because this one is for a Gentile audience looking for a spiritual kingdom and the soon return of Jesus Christ. This is for the church. Okay, now that we've analyzed and understand the parable, we're going to do the main thing the parable is there to teach us, and that's to anticipate our portion. Listen, the parable forewarns us about the coming accountability and the rewards that can be expected as a result. So, each servant has the same resources available to them, yet each servant returns different profits. And you got to get this. God rewards each in direct proportion to their faithfulness. He rewards them in direct proportion to their fruitfulness. The guy who said, your pound has gained 10 pounds, the Lord says, have authority over 10 cities. That's not random. And just to prove it's not random, the guy who says, your pound has gained 5 pounds, have authority over 5 cities. And the guy who gained exactly nothing, he had his taken away. He had his taken away. And you know what that's here to teach us? Well, we'll get into it in some detail, but basically, if you don't do anything with what God has given you, whatever rewards you may have already thought you received at that moment when the Lord returns and calls us into account, if we haven't multiplied what he's given us, well, we're going to lose what we had. Second John, that little book near the end of your Bible, verse number 8, it says, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. There's going to be some people that have worked to receive some things that they better be careful that they don't lose. And the context is rewards, that we receive a full reward. Some people are going to have lost the rewards that they earned because they didn't continue to be faithful to the very end. And it's interesting, you know, because that guy who didn't gain anything, who just kept the pound in a napkin, there's several verses in that interaction with the Lord. You know, isn't it always the case that the guy who does nothing sure has a lot of excuses as to why? You ever notice that? I have. Well, listen, it will be without question the inheritance of the church-age saint to rule and to reign with Jesus Christ in his righteous governmental system in the millennial kingdom on this earth for 1,000 years. That is our lot and your inheritance. It is an inheritance. An inheritance is an earned reward in the Bible. It's not automatic. You have to sow in order to reap. So we look at places like Galatians 6, 7, and 9, 7 through 9, where it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And frequently, I've been guilty, other preachers, we stop at the first part of this, and if you sow to your flesh, you reap of the flesh corruption and destruction and trouble in your life. And, and man, it, it makes for good preaching about getting your life right with God, and that's fine. If you sow to the flesh, you reap from the flesh. But can I tell you, the verse doesn't end there because it is possible to sow to the Spirit and to reap 
of the Spirit. Now, you're not earning your own, your everlasting life already exists, but man, if you're sowing to the Spirit and doing the faithful stewardship of evangelism, and a bunch of other people are getting in on it too, aren't they? Sowing and reaping. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 12. Not my favorite verse in the Bible. Nevertheless, it's in there. It's conditional. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. So it lets us know that if we don't suffer, well, that comes by denying him. We, den- we refuse to go tell other people about him. We f- refuse to proclaim his name. He's going to deny us. Now, don't be confused. This is not denying you your eternal salvation. This is not anybody losing their salvation. The context is rewards, right? So if you deny him, you're in danger of losing your rewards. That's what he's talking about. And you know what? There's going to be crowns given to the faithful and wise stewards at Christ's return. And today's not the day to do that Bible study, but literally there's five crowns in the New Testament that a believer can earn. And let me just... Let me just mention a couple of them to you today because if, if nothing else, these may be the two that ought to stand in the forefront of your mind. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Sometimes this is referred to as the soul winner's crown. And Paul says, you know what our crown of rejoicing is going to be at the presence of our Lord at his coming? It's you. It's the fact that you are the fruit of our ministry. That's our crown. Paul said of his own self at the end of his life when he knew it was at the very end in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that time. Day And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And who's going to love the appearing of the Lord if they are an unfaithful steward sloughing off their duties that they were given to do? You know how it works when, you know, you, you were little and your parents let you stay home alone without a babysitter for the first time and they told you, be sure and clean your room, we'll be back in a couple of hours and... If you didn't do it, like I didn't always do it, then when you, you feared, you, you weren't excited about dad coming home. But if you did it, you were excited. You were like, I can't wait till my dad gets home because he's going to see that I did. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Crowns, by the way, are typically filled with jewels. And jewels are precious stones and Precious stones in the Bible, well, those are people. Those are people. So, you know, the Latin root for the word crown, you know, that's corona. (laughs) Are you worried about getting the coronavirus? I mean, everybody in the world is talking about corona. Maybe God wants you to think about coronas. Maybe God wants you to think about your crowns. Maybe God wants you to think about maybe, just maybe, this word could so infect your soul that you might just get addicted to the ministry and earn yourself some crowns. That's the coronavirus I'm interested in, not the physical one, of course. It's interesting how the Lord just allows words to float out there and maybe get our attention, isn't it? Listen, y'all, the harvest is ripe. It's ready. It might be this year, it might not, I don't know, but it's ripe, it's close. It's ready. Are you? Are you ready? The return of the Lord is near, but we're still here. We're still breathing. It ain't over yet. Right, We can still prove ourselves to be faithful and wise stewards of his mysteries and his ministries. And we can reap rewards, but we have to remain faithful to the end. Again, Luke 12, 42. 
And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. And the last thing that I might point out to you is just the last verse, and that is in Matthew chapter 9, 37 and 38, where Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. You know, we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight. That might be a good prayer request. You study Matthew chapter 9. Those are the last two verses of Matthew chapter 9. You know where it goes in chapter 10 and verse number 1? Those very disciples who would pray that God would send forth laborers became the laborers God sent forth. You know what I think God wants from us? That we would pray that God would send us out before it's too late. Let's get the word out. Let's tell our friends. Let's invite everybody to tune in for Easter. Talk to the people you can talk to. Send text messages. Let's not neglect our responsibilities, and let's reap a full reward. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love and thank you so much for all the ways that you take care of us, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be honored in this word and the preaching of it. I pray, Lord Jesus, for the brothers and sisters that are listening. This message is certainly for the family to hear what you would have us to hear. You are coming soon, certainly, eventually, certainly, maybe very, very soon. And Lord, you've told us what you expect. You told us what you desire to see in us, that you would find us continuing to do the things that you've given us to do. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would find First Baptist Church family faithfully doing what you've called us to do. Not just learning, not just enjoying a video, but literally going out and literally calling on people and literally loving in your name so that people can know you because, well, the time may be very short and we may not have much more time. So with all these things, I pray that you would be honored and I pray that you would have more people hear your word and more would respond and get saved before the end comes. We pray these things. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand up. We're always going to wrap up the service with one last worship song and uh, just give thanks to the Lord for what he's doing.